Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But it had a rich and glorious past, but now at the time of the writing of Jesus Christ to these churches, this city was in moral decay and it was rapidly going downhill, which is always the case when a country, when a city, when a people has turned their back on God, that is always the result. There is always decay, there is always problems, and because we need to be looking up, you know, even in our own country, you know, the things that we see that are in decline, the, the decline of the family, the, the decline of society, uh, the decline of morality, all of these things have ramifications. How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? Welcome, everyone, to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Truth in Christ Bible Teaching Radio Program with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, with a letter to the church in Sardis. At the time Jesus spoke these words to John, the ancient city of Sardis had seen its best days and had started to decline. Yet it was a wealthy city. The connection between Sardis and easy money was well known to the ancient world. The combination of easy money and a loose moral environment made the people of Sardis notoriously soft and pleasure-loving. In the upcoming lessons, Jesus makes this very clear. Now let's join Pastor Rob. All right, let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. And this is kind of an unfortunate, uh, I shouldn't say unfortunate, but it's, um, it's a letter that is not easy. Uh, I mean, all these letters that Jesus has been writing to the churches of Asia Minor in, in modern-day Turkey, right there on the western side of Turkey, all of these seven churches existed physically in the first century A.D., and uh, these churches all had issues, had, they had problems, they had things that they were doing well, and they also had things that they weren't doing so well. Let's read this passage together. It's fairly short. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, there's seven churches. We're looking at the fifth of those churches to, this morning. And it's the church of Sardis. And let's just go ahead and read it. Verse 1, it says, Jesus speaking here, and you'll notice that in your Bible, if you've got a red-letter Bible, these words are on red because these are words that Jesus spoke. He dictated this letter to John to give to these churches. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And again, as he has ended the other letters, so he does here. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And remember, as we read this, these letters were going to be written and delivered individually to these specific churches, and also they were meant for all the other churches to read too. Because as we as we read and have read these seven letters to the seven churches, every one of them can apply to someone in any church at any given time. And that's why we read all of them. And this is why Jesus ends each letter with the uh, command, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And, and every letter is end, ends that same way. And so this is the way the Lord chooses to speak to his people. Let's look at Sardis just for a few moments here. Uh, Sardis is the capital city of Lydia. If you were looking at a, a map of, of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, you were to divide it in half with a vertical line. Uh, the western side would be called Lydia. And so the capital city of Lydia was this city called Sardis. And you can see on uh, on a map, Thyatira, this, the, the church that we were talking about last week, Sardis is about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. It is today the, the village of Sart. And it's a, believe it or not, this is a place where silver and gold coins were first minted in the city of Sardis. And it was located on a trade route, which most of these cities that we're talking about had a considerable trade going in and out of them because they were, they were big cities and this was no different. And this city was especially wealthy when it was in its heyday, uh, long before the church that Jesus is referring to right now in its history. It was very, very prosperous. It was on a trade route. Evidently, five different uh, roads had led in and around the city of Sardis. And it was a very... A luxuriant, very prosperous city. They sold jewelry and dyes. They dyed clothing and cloth and textiles. And it was also, as the other cities that we looked at and the churches, it was also in a city that was uh, a center of pagan worship. And this particular city of Sardis was a temple of Artemis. Artemis, the temple there, was erected sometime in the 4th century B.C., so it had been there long before the church began there. But it had a rich and glorious past, but now at the time of the writing of Jesus Christ to these churches, this city was in moral decay and it was rapidly going downhill, which is always the case when a country, when a city, when a people has turned their back on God, that is always the result. There is always decay, there is always problems, and because we need to be looking up, you know, even in our own country, you know, the things that we see that are in decline, the, the decline of the family, the, the decline of society, uh, the decline of morality, all of these things have ramifications. They have consequences, and we're seeing those things right now. And so as we read this letter, 
And as we have read it and as we'll look at it further, it's important for us as America to look at this letter and certainly the church in America because not everybody in the church in America fits this description, but there are some. And there are some churches that are completely completely dead. There's The Spirit of God is no longer there. It's, it's more of a monument to bygone years and bygone pastors and, and, and bygone movements. And we can never get to that place. And God help us when the church becomes a, a monument of something that happened in the past. The church is living and we need to be living in the expectancy right now of what God wants to do in and through us. He wants us to rise up. He wants to awaken us. So I would encourage you to take that challenge today. And again, you might not fit the bill of this church that we're looking at this morning. You may say, well, I'm not a dead Christian. My faith is not dead. I'm not, uh, I don't need to be awoken. Well, praise the Lord. I hope that is true for all of us, honestly. And, and so let's take that challenge uh, such as it is. So let's get into it. Let's look at verse 1. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, Now remember, when he says the angel of the church in Sardis, he's speaking to the pastor of that specific church in Asia Minor. Jesus is speaking to that man at this time in history, and he's writing, and he says, To the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor of the church in Sardis, write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead, that you are dead. You know, when we look at this name, you know, there's a phrase that we often use, what's in a name? And Sardis has a name. And the actual word Sardis can mean red ones. And that could mean, that could have a bearing on the type of stone that was harvested in that area that was sold. And and it was called a uh, a Sardis stone or a sardine stone which is red in color. And so the city may have gotten its name based upon that. There are other reasons for uh, the possible name, but we won't go into that because it's not really important too much for our purposes this morning. But notice what Jesus says in the next phrase. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You recall in the very first chapter of Revelation that Jesus described himself or was described as, uh, let me just read it to you in, in Revelation 1, verse 4. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from seven spirits who are before his throne. And even in the next verse it says, and from Jesus Christ. So here in these verses 4 and 5, we really see the Trinity. God the Father who is the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's speaking of God the Father from the seven spirits. It's uh, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And then certainly in the next verse, verse 5, it speaks of Jesus Christ. There we have the Trinity very clearly. But when he says the seven spirits, this really speaks to the completeness and the perfection of the Holy Spirit's office and His power. And remember, there is only one Holy Spirit. It's not like there's seven spirits, but it really speaks of His sevenfold character of completeness and perfection. Just like there is only one God, but in the song that we sang this morning, the hymn, God in Three Persons, Blessed Trinity, just like there is only one God, but there are three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all one. They are equal, equally God, but it's one God. It's not three. 
And so it's interesting that Jesus refers to himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, because this church needed to understand that Jesus was looking in upon this church, as he has the right to do in any church, to peer inside and to see what's going on, to see the temperature of the church, to see what they're doing well, to see what they're not doing well. And we all know that the Spirit of God is omniscient. It's a fancy word, but it just means all-knowing. God knows everything, and by His Spirit, He sees and knows all things. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he said this, and he quotes from Isaiah. He says, "...I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him." But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God is omniscient. He knows all things. And these seven spirits are spoken of as at least three different things here in the book of Revelation. We see that the seven spirits is something that Jesus himself, he possesses. We see that in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 that we just read. Notice, these, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God, and it speaks of ownership. Jesus Christ has the ability, he, he has, uh, in a sense, uh, it is directed by him. The spirit of God is directed by him. We see also in uh, chapter 4, verse 5, that the, the spirit, these seven spirits are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. And as we, as we see these kinds of, uh, this kind of imagery in the Bible, we have to understand that John is describing for us uh, a scene that we've never seen before. And, but we will see, if you're a Christian, you will see these things that, we're, that are being described for us. But in Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, what does it say? And it says, And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we know that these seven spirits of God are also seven lamps of fire. And it speaks of purity, doesn't it? When we think of fire, fire purifies. And so we also see in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, that it's also these seven spirits of God also are seven eyes of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And we read that in Revelation 5, verse 6, and it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and again, this is a scene that John is describing for us of the throne room of God. And I would encourage you to read chapter 4 and chapter 5 and let your heart be taken away with this imagery, because, folks, that is where we're going to be standing one day at the throne room of God, and we're going to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb as it had been slain before the foundation of the world. We're going to see Him there at the throne. But in Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb as though it had been slain, notice, having seven horns and seven eyes, Seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And so, the seven spirits of God really just speaks, again, of the sevenfold character, the nature of the Holy Spirit of God. So we go on here, and he also says the seven stars. 
It says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And we saw in Revelation again. It's good as you read the Bible to let the Bible define to you what these things mean. The Bible is really not a complicated book at all. As long as you read the whole thing and as you study it, you realize that it's not really that complicated. Uh, in fact, uh, as we're seeing here, we're, we're seeing the, the book of Revelation define these things for us. We don't have to uh, come up with some kind of ethereal, you know, mysterious thing. It's all right here. There are some things in here, as we're going to get into, that are going to be mysterious to us because John is describing characters and incidences that we've never seen before, that he's never seen before, and he's trying in, in a language to describe these things. So there's enough mystery here, no doubt, but it's not beyond our understanding. And and certainly here, when he speaks of the seven stars, these are the equivalent to these angels or these messengers or these pastors of the seven churches. Again, remember, in Revelation 1 verse 20, it gives us the answer here of who these seven stars are. Let me read it to you. The mystery of the seven stars, Jesus says, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and here he defines them, the seven stars are the angels or the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Pretty simple, right? The stars are about the pastors of those churches. The lampstands are the churches themselves. And notice also that these stars are something that Jesus possesses and holds on to as well. We saw that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. It says that he, Jesus, had in his right hand seven stars. And in Revelation 2, verse 1, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, what does he say? His, his very first introduction to this church is, the, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And the right hand always speaks of power and authority. It speaks of, when it's speaking of the, hand, the right hand of God, it's speaking of salvation. It's speaking of refuge. And protection. So these seven stars are the pastors who are held by their Creator. And I don't know about you, but that's a really comforting thing to me because it's encouraging to know that Jesus has us, in addition to these pastors that He has in His hands, He also holds us. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 22. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Let's look at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. It says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, in other words, if you are God in the flesh, if you are the Messiah, equal to God, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And here's the verse I really wanted to get to, but I wanted to give the context. He says, and I give them, my sheep, Jesus says, my sheep, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and notice, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Do you get that? So Jesus here has these pastors in his right hand, and there is such a wonderful there's such wonderful assurance really in that. And in fact, we teach the doctrine 
of uh, eternal security. It's, it's a doctrine that is in the Bible, and it's eternal security. And this is one of those verses that really substantiate that claim, because God, uh, salvation is a gift of God, and God knows what He's doing, right? It's, salvation is a gift of God, and He doesn't give something and then take it back. God, when He gives, it is something, it is forever. He doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes all the time, but God knows, and He is the one who gives salvation. So once you're saved, you are always saved. You may go through difficulty, but you are a child of God, and God will work in your life. And you know, if you think of it, if the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for our salvation by His death on the cross, and He places His Holy Spirit in you, which He says He does, which is the down payment of your salvation, is there anyone who is able to reverse this? Is there anyone able to take that gift out of God's hand, out of your hand? The answer is no. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Paul says to the Ephesians, in Him... You trusted in Jesus after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, notice you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee or the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Until He comes for us physically in the rapture, He places a down payment, in a sense, within us, and that is the Spirit of God. And most of us have a problem with eternal security, or some do anyway. But the problem we have with eternal security is our faith in God's Word and His promise versus our emotions and even our own performance uh, in our Christian walk. And and that's where the rub lies, is because we don't always uh, believe that God saved me and how can I do these horrible things or how can I do this and still be a child of God. Well... God is still working, isn't He? And that's what the process of sanctification is all about. That's what it's all about. But God doesn't save you. He doesn't place His Spirit within you and then abandon you because you've done something in your life. We need to repent of those things, certainly, but but that does not mean that we are not a child of God. And if you continue in rebelliousness and you continue in habitual sin, you know, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be a miserable Christian. And there's nothing worse than a miserable Christian who once was set free but is continuing to go back and do things that they know are wrong. And and that's not God's fault. And God will work in a life, and God still may have a hold, you know, has saved this person, but this person is still wrestling and not yet continuing to give up some issue of sin. And it's a miserable thing to, to see. And, and, and some of us have gone through things like that. And, you know, as soon as you surrender, there is a great freedom. There's a great peace when you uh, surrender those things to the Lord. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you understand what I'm saying. So it's important to do that. But eternal security is what the Bible teaches. And Jesus holds these, these men, these pastors of these churches in his hand as he holds you and I. Notice at the end of that verse, oh, he says something else. 
He says, I know your works. I know your toil. I know your, the things that you have done and you, that you have a name that you are alive and are dead. You have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. You know, this city, as I was say, stating before, had a glorious beginning, but the church and the people in it were clinging to old victories and old things of the past. And they were looking, always looking back on the great things back then, and they were failing to live in the here and now. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.